Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. We're going to do a show that is under 90 minutes today. Just a, just a warning. We're not going to do any of that crazy stuff. 89 and a half. So wait, people were mad at, were people mad at us for our takes last week? Yeah, they were a little bit mad about the takes, but that's okay. Disagree, uh, gentlemanly disagreement is what the Bulwark is all about. They were, yeah, they, they were, were also more. mad they were like, about give us the two hours. Every no. listener disagrees you can't with you. have that because I, this is, this is like <laughs> Ross and Rachel. Or, or Sam and Diane. The yeah. audience wants them to get um, together, Rachel. right? Yeah. But they need them not to get together. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You want it to be two hours, but you need it not to be two hours. Trust me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. You need it not to be two hours. <sighs> Gal Luft. Let's talk about the ballad of Gal Luft. Is this just... guy a bad guy in like one of the Rocky movies? No, he's a, a great patriot, got dual citizenship with Israel and America. <laughs> he's too beta to be a bad guy in a Rocky movie. He'd, he'd be a bad guy in like a weird, like independent sci-fi movie. Like he doesn't have enough muscles. Has written a couple pieces for National Review, uh, is the co-director of a very important Washington think tank. The Hold on, I want to make sure I get the name of this right. The Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, which, if you go to their webpage, absolutely does not look like something that was thrown up under the cover of night uh, <laughs> to never be used or viewed by actual human beings. Uh, it does not have a valid security t certificate even. Like, you know, depending on what browser you're using, the browser will try to block you from going there saying, hey, hold on a minute. But is it really the browser or is it the deep state? It's probably smart from your browser, given the given the China connections. You're about to like TikTok esque security. I don't want to filibuster this. Here are the two important things you need to know. The Republicans have been touting Gal Luft as their key secret witness in the entire Hunter Biden drama. Uh, this is the guy who was the whistleblower who had disappeared. Remember, they talked about their disappearing witnesses, and they just. Gelluft is also the guy who was arrested and charged by the Department of Justice for being a Chinese spy, also an arms dealer, also a guy trying to help violate the Sanctions Act against Iran, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. These two things are in concert. And last week, Gal Luft, who is a fugitive from justice and who is running from the law, recorded a 14-minute video, which he sent to... The New York Post. Did you watch all 14 minutes? Because, because I that is where I it's would intriguing. send things that I had to important whistleblowing things. I would give them to the New York Post. I would not go to your Agence France press or your Associated Press mm. or your failing New York Times. Well, this is where oh. they went with the Hunter Biden story to start. Yeah. So uh, he went that and and said that basically he dared the Department of Justice to unseal the indictment against him. And so that's what. That's what DOJ just, they did that. So uh, we, now have the, <laughs> we now have the indictment and it's amazing. And the entire story is amazing. And as always, projection is the sincerest form of Trumpism. Tim, would you like to go first? Sure. I want to add a fact at the top here that I think is important for everybody to understand before we go dunking on Gal and, and making fun of all this, because this is what all of your, your Nancy Maces, your quote unquote, good Republicans, your, you know, our friends at the media outlets, we won't mention, they're, they're all going to focus on this and say, you never Trump cucks. Don't want to acknowledge the fact that 
the group, the Chinese energy group and the Chinese oligarch that Gal was conspiring with is also the same company that Hunter Biden was consulting for. And that is a true fact. And, you know, I didn't think that the that the blind repairman was going to be real. And he was. And so I'm always, I'm just open to who uh, it is very possible that Hunter Biden and Gal Luft were both, <laughs> were both working illegally with the Chinese and not registering on FARA. I'm open to that possibility. I just think it's, it's important to acknowledge that for context is that Gal comes to the FBI in 2019 and he says, Hey, I'm doing some consulting for these Chinese guys. Yeah. It's totally on the up and up, but I've got a I've got a tip. I've got a tip that Hunter Biden is also doing some stuff for them that is that is not on the up and up, that is illegal, and that there's bribery. The Chinese guys told me. Chinese guys told me this. They told me about all of this bad stuff they're doing with Hunter Biden. And Joe Biden is involved. <laughs> and this is the key right. point. This is why Gal Luft was, is, was supposedly the key witness for, for Jimmy Comer. Because throughout all this nonsense, Joe Biden, like besides the one vague email about the 10 for the big guy, Joe Biden has been implicated in nothing. Like it's been all Hunter. And so Gal was like, I'm the one that can prove that Joe Biden was in on this. And the big accusation was going to be that the Chinese were manipulating Hunter to get to Joe and Joe's contacts in the government, including the one-eyed man, who we'll get to in a second. And, um, and so uh, here's the big problem with that story, though. Gal was doing all the things <laughs> that he accused Hunter. He says, there is evidence. All the stuff I'm doing with the Chinese government operatives of this energy company, totally okay, guys. Don't worry. I'm on the up and up. It's only Hunter who's doing the bad things. So this is the key. This is really where, where you get just down to the bones of this. Like, ignore all of the arms dealing and all the other shady shit this guy was doing. He has Chinese money that he's using to pay... Former CIA director James Woolsey, allegedly, uh, or someone on Donald Trump's transition team to put out pro-China white papers and propaganda and, and, you know, in various outlets and try to influence the incoming administration to be friendlier to China. This is literally what Ron Johnson yes. and James Comer and all those guys are like, yes. we're so worried that this happened to Biden. We're so worried that Bi that the Chinese were paying off Hunter and they're manipulating Biden into being nice to China. But there's no fucking evidence of that. Joe Biden hasn't done anything nice to China. There is direct evidence that Gal Luft paid off somebody on Trump's transition team in order to influence them positively uh, for China. And by the way, the Turks did that through Michael Flynn. Obviously, the Russians were doing that. Uh, this is evident. Remember the RNC platform that changed mm -hmm. the platform related to Russia and Ukraine? The Russians were doing that. All of these accusations are things we know that happened in, in the Trump administration. So I would listen to these assholes that are trying to say that there's there there with Hunter and, and Joe if they could either, A, demonstrate that there's one iota of evidence that Joe was involved, or B, if they would say in the same breath, by the way, pretty concerning that the guy leading the Republican primary, it's now proven was influenced by three countries back then during the transition and now is in, in wide open for all of us to see being influenced by MBS. So anyway, there's my rant. Sarah, you look mildly incredulous. Bored? I'm not bored. I'm not bored. I, I, I will say there are certain stories. We could talk about the one-eyed man if you're yeah. bored. I, I, I want you to because I will tell you, this is, uh, I'm going to, I only have, I have very little to say because there are certain stories that I just decide 
I'm not going to follow. Like, I'm not going to learn about this. There's too much. And like, at some point I have people who email me. I don't know how this guy got my email address. There's like a dude who emails me all the time. And he's just like, you guys are ignoring the Hunter Biden stuff. And I'm like, you know, I swear you guys listen to me. Uh, You get mad at me when I go, you know, when I'm not always on side. And like, if it's true that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden is implicated, then I will. I'm there on it. Like, I'm not going to just reflexively defend him. But this story has always been too complicated and too many weird, like, there's too much weird stuff. So I just, I've decided not to follow it. And you know what else I didn't follow? The Rachel Maddow, like, machinations around the Russians when it was Trump. Like, my only position was, like, let Robert Mueller do his investigation. Do not fire him like you did James Comey. That's the rule of law. That's what you do. And all the rest of it, like Darapowski or, you know, all these. I was like, who can follow this? Who can? Well, I can't. Good. Good for but you. Someone has to well, on this and podcast. You have a day job. Well, eventually I read the report when it came out. Yeah. And I'll read whatever report these guys come up with, too, on Hunter. But I cannot. I cannot follow all this. But I got a question for you, Tim. Actually, no, JBL. JBL, you wrote a very good piece. Everything I know about this, I know from reading your triad today. You read it? I did. Aww. Uh, so here's the thing. Donald Trump, though, wasn't like, he was always weird about China, right? Because he was mean about China often. But then one of the things I do remember that always stuck out to me was the John Bolton accusation that Donald Trump, when told about the Uyghur genocide in the concentration camps, basically was like, that's fine. Like yeah. he's remember that. Yeah. And so is that was that the kind of influence they were trying to peddle? Because he you know did call the pandemic it was the China virus the whole time. So Trump has sort of a complicated mixed bag. This is after uh, when the pandemic came came about. After talking about when it first started, President Xi is doing such a tremendous job on all this. Right. This is the mm-hmm. weirdness mm-hmm. of nobody has ever been as chummy with a Chinese dictator as Donald Trump was. And yet Republicans run around screaming about China. This is, you know, I honestly, one of the things I thought that was good that came from the last six years is I thought we finally had bipartisan consensus on China, that China's really bad and a threat. And finally, Democrats and Republicans were on the same side about it. Except that you have these, these again, guys like Gal Luff running around <laughs> trying to make money in China. And this is their witness, right? This is the witness. This is the witness. This is, this is, the, witness. The, this yeah, is the, this the only is the guy they've got. So, the, so this is the guy who said the big guy. Because I've had a lot of people emailing me being like, you're ignoring that there is a whistleblower. There's not somebody in the IRS. There's not like another whistleblower. Yeah, there is another whistleblower. There's an IRS. This is a separate story. There's an IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, might be pronouncing that wrong, who said that the Trump-appointed prosecutor who was investigating Hunter, you know, over his tax fraud that did end up indicting him, told this whistleblower that they couldn't Couldn't go deeper. They knew too much. Yeah, there wasn't going to be a special prosecutor over this. They wouldn't, they couldn't appoint one because the big, you know, Biden doesn't want one. And, uh, and they don't want to look into what Biden's responsibility. So they're just going to have a narrow scope to this. Now, that prosecutor has, I, I believe just a couple hours ago, sent a letter, uh, we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon, um, sent a letter denying those accusations by that whistleblower. I can't really, as a podcaster here in New Orleans, like uh, d- determine who's telling the truth in that situation. But, but we do know that it is a, it's a Trump-appointed prosecutor. Let me say this, Tim. Yeah. At least that whistleblower is not under indictment for being a spy. There's one mark in his credibility. Yeah, or on the lamb. Or He's on the lamb. To testify. Yeah. 
so here's the here's the other can we do the one-eyed i want to do the one-eyed man real quick okay before we do the one-eyed man i, I just i think that there's a, there's just one important thing i want if, if you're listening to this and you're like sarah and you're just trying to sift through all the weeds and understand what's important here and i think this is a response to the your friend who emails and others who think that we should be looking at this more if there was a piece of clear evidence of wrongdoing this would be much easier for you to follow and that, like, that's really what this comes down to. It's like there are pieces of evidence of Hunter Biden making ungodly sums of money from foreign countries. And that seems very unsavory. Uh, it's something that a lot of family members of a lot of politicians have done, which is unsavory. I condemn all of them equally. But if, if the, we're looking to the Joe Biden, like this is only a real scandal that could have impact if Joe Biden is involved. And they have been digging under every rock, dating back to the Trump administration and now to the James Comey Oversight Committee looking for something that implicates Biden. And this was going to be their star witness. And now he's disappeared doing basement videos, you know, while he runs from the law. And as JVL so explicitly pointed out in the triad, like the, the, the charges against the, this quote unquote whistleblower, Gal Luft, are very explicit now and on the record and evidence-based, you know? And, and so like, this is the problem with people who want to be like, you got to call balls and strikes. You got to look at Joe Biden. It's like, well, give me something. Give me something. I'm not a, just like you. I'm not afraid. I wasn't. I'm not happy that he. He. he you know, we we went over the grandchild situation on Sunday. If you give me something that Joe Biden did, I'll talk about it. But but they they have nothing, and that's why this thing is so complicated. Because in order to try to implicate Joe Biden, they got to do smoke and mirrors and all this. Well, and there's James Biden, and there's Burisma, and there's this, and it's like, okay, Bobolinsky, and it's like, okay, well, show me one thing. Just show me one thing, okay? And then we'll start taking it seriously. And the one thing you said you were going to show me, now this guy, is a. it turns out he's a Chinese spy and he's running from the law. So <laughs> that's not really great. Anyway, now do, now do the one-eyed man. So uh, this gentleman meets with, uh, in 2019, in Europe, I, th- I want to say it was Brussels. I, I think it was Joe Biden. No, no, wait a minute. It wasn't Joe Biden. It was Donald Trump in 2019. Was Bill Barr the attorney general then? I guess he was. Yeah. I guess he was. He meets with, uh, I believe, six members, according to him, uh, six members of the FBI and the Department of Justice, and he gives them the goods. He Luft. gives them chapter and verse, right? His gal Luft, on all of the things that his sources, his totally above board sources in the Chinese government have told him about their own dealings with Hunter Biden. Why the Chinese government is doing this to screw the the guy that they're trying to to sweeten up over here hunter biden with this other guy who they're also trying to use who can say right i mean it's maybe they're playing three-dimensional chess they're they're chinese they're you know they they play a very long game over watch there. out somehow this information is suppressed now how is it suppressed one might asks who can say right we we do have testimony well, gal can say well gal can say and Gal says it's because he discovers that the Biden family has a mole inside the FBI. Ooh. The Biden crime family has a mole. They have, I guess, like all crime families, they have tried to get, you remember in The Godfather, Michael Corleone has that bent Irish cop that he's, you know, is on his payroll and maybe... This you is know, a, the they, departed situation where every the mobster <laughs> and the FBI are all really kind of on the same side kind of situation. And this mole's code name is One Eye. <laughs> oh, One Eye. 
Which is literally a plot point from The Fugitive, by the way. Uh, the Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive. It's, There's the one eyed man. One arm. One arm. That's the one armed man. Okay, yeah. sorry. No, this it's is been Nick Fury. This is Nick Fury from <laughs> okay. the Avengers movies. And I just look, as I as I said in the I think it's more one eyed Willie or it's like an it's like winking, like an elaborate joke. As, as I said in my newsletter, I, I am happy to believe that either both or none of these things are true, right? I am I'm happy to believe that the government has made it all up or is mistaken in its claims against Gal Luft and that also there's nothing there with Hunter Biden. I'm, I'm not really believe, I'm not really there for that. I'm happy to believe that both are true or that only Gal is guilty. But Gal is definitely guilty. Also happy to believe they're both true. <laughs> but, but for the people who want to believe that Gal is innocent but that Hunter is guilty, it means you're taking 100% of your evidence from this basement video sent out by this guy who's on the run from the law, who is not under oath and who has no evidence and who has this fantastical story and whose life seems to be not quite what you would expect as the director of a think tank. I think all three of us have known a lot of directors of Washington think tanks. I do not believe that Arthur Brooks in his spare time was putting together weapons caches to sell from the Chinese to the Libyans. He does wear those mock turtlenecks that are a little suspicious mm. sometimes, though, Arthur Brooks does. I will say, I do think that the Washington scene, I don't know if it was always like that. I do think it's flush with foreign cash now in a way that is different. I mean, maybe it's always I mean, been true. Why could that possibly have been? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we just had an administration that was for sale. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, of course it would be, right? And this is the frustrating part. I just, I really, I just made this point, but it's like, I can't even get one iota, like a single Republican, like, you know, and I guess Mitt Romney's probably in the Sarah camp. Like, I'm just, just wake me up if, if there's some evidence here and then I'll read the briefing paper on this. But like, you sure. know, not, there can't be a single Republican out there, not even one that's in the Ron DeSantis camp or something looking for an advantage that could just say, hey, it is a little concerning that this is now the fourth country that <laughs> we have evidence <laughs> of manipulating the Donald Trump administration in the transition. And uh, and if we're going to get mad at Joe Biden's hypothetical crimes here, we should maybe look at what was happening around Donnie T. But no, nobody. No. None of them. Uh, Chris Christie might get there. Chris he Christie. Seems, he's been, he's been on the Saudi point. stuff pretty well. we'll yeah, that's a good point. There. All right, moving on. We're recording on Prime Day, a blessed Prime Day to all who celebrate. You guys won't get this until after Prime Day. We have news that on the 14th of July, we're going to have a candidate forum hosted by The Blaze with Tucker Carlson. My friend Tucker as the host in Iowa is going to be a five candidate forum where they're going to really dig in deep for the, the types of things that Iowa voters need to know about. On our list of candidates who are showing up, we have Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek, Kim Scott and Mike Pence. This whole thing just seems odd to me, and I don't quite understand it, that the team normal candidates are showing up to kiss the ring of the guy who was too extreme for Fox and who just like sat down with Andrew Tate and Trump won't show up to this. And I did like everything about this feels strange and I don't understand it. And I don't like what is Mike, what sort of response does Mike Pence expect to get here? Like what, how, how is this all supposed to work? Sarah, 
what is happening? Really quick, one fact on this though: isn't it also the family leader? I think that just does explain the Mike Pence piece. I want to. Uh, oh, maybe is that, is that it's the Iowa family leader and the Blaze and Tucker? Maybe that's so what it I is. think. There'll be a couple of God-fearing folk there that Mike that Mike Pence will go see. This is an easy one. I mean, the entire right-wing media industrial complex, uh, as well as its political elites, are uh, hopelessly not corrupt's not the right word, but just nothing's too far. Like the fact that Tucker Carlson was the one who said that January 6th was no big deal and he was going to prove it by releasing that selectively cut January 6th footage, that that proved that January 6th was staged and all those things. Mike Pence just says, cool, I'll come on your show, bro. Okay. Because this is what you have to do, right? This is Tucker's a big piece of, he's got the audience, except for Trump, because Trump has the direct line. This is the problem for, for a bunch of them, right? They need Tucker to be their mediator. They need Tucker to be the person who touches them and says, they're okay. I'll talk. I'm talking to them. Whereas Trump can go directly to the people. And that's always been his power. There's not that much to say about it. I'm not surprised that Tucker's hosting candidate forums. Uh, And I'm not surprised Trump's not showing up. He doesn't have to. And Nikki, Nikki and Tim Scott, who you are can, team you, normal. You, you obviously have thoughts about team normal that I want to hear, JVL. I want to go into the Trump point about why he's not showing up at, to Sarah. And you know that it always pains me anytime I have to compliment Trump about anything. But there, there is one thing that, that me and Trump were Careful. aligned on. If you observe that he has done something smart, it means that you want him to win. I know. I know. Okay. I do not want Donald Trump to win. Please, God. I just, I hope he dies. Uh, there's one thing we were aligned on, though, dating back to 2016. And, and he was even further on this than I was. But I always felt that I was just like, there are all these stupid conventions of presidential campaigns. That's like every candidate does it. And it's like you do it because, you know, George Bush did it. And George Bush did it because his dad did it. And his dad did it because Reagan did it. And it's like, why do we have to do all these things? I mean, at the most narrow example, something I had control over, like campaigns put out these stupid press releases that nobody read all the time and these rapid response things during debates that nobody read. And during the Jeb campaign, I was like, we're not doing this anymore. I was like, this, uh, this one little thing is not going to change whether Jeb wins or loses, but it's like it's a small version Jeb of this. Jeb did big, lose. Are you sure that it's we got not because you didn't? Put out rapid response I'm pretty, press releases. I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't because of the rapid response press releases. I mean, but that's I don't a convenient know. excuse for you and your Thank choice. You. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. And maybe everyone should send out 100 rapid response emails. And I was totally wrong. <laughs> the point is what, what Donald Trump demonstrated was that, like, I actually don't need to do any of this. I'll just do whatever I want. And I'll speak directly to the voters. And and a lot of the stuff that re- the consultants want you to do and say are stupid. And I'm not going to do the stupid stuff. And... I don't have any good consultants around me anyway. I just have the, I just have hope and the golf caddy and like uh, stabby eyes Lewandowski and I, like none of them are going to tell me what to do. And so I'm just going to like do whatever I want. And the thing is he was right. He was right. He was proven right. He won easily without any of the accoutrement of campaigns. And so now here we are eight years later. And sometimes I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Because like all of these same consultants that were working on all these same campaigns are doing all the same stupid shit that Donald Trump demonstrated you don't have to do. Bob Vanderplatz, Vanderplotz in Iowa and his family leader forum that 12 people are going to live stream, like isn't going to make or break Donald Trump. It just isn't. Donald Trump was at, you know where he was this past weekend? At an MMA fight. Yeah. And they were talking about him on, on Joe Rogan. They were talking about this on the Bill Simmons podcast that I listened to. Millions upon millions of people see him. He's doing selfies. Like, way more people watch that than are going to watch the family leader thing. 
Javier, I want to hear your take. I think that there's obviously some, you know, some moral and ethical questions here as well. It's like, why are you dealing with Tucker, who is, you know, just most recently on the Russell Brand conspiracy podcast, talking about how much he loves Donald Trump, even though he's secretly, you know, even though in private he's texting about how he hates him. Like, why would they go do this? But like, I think that the Trump key insight here is that like some of this stuff just isn't that important and he's not going to do it. I also don't think he should do any of this stuff. Why would he? In the same way that Joe Biden should not be running a primary campaign, like he should just right. be presidenting. Uh, Donald Trump should just be running as if he's the nominee, basically. And, you know, kick the crap out of DeSantis because he enjoys doing it. Right. <laughs> do it for sport. But for the rest of this stuff, like, forget that. Just, you know, don't don't do these debates, like do your own counter programming. And also, what are they going to do? Right. So they, you know, Donald Trump doesn't show up to a debate. The first five minutes are about Donald Trump not showing up at the debate. But after that, they're going to turn on each other like crabs in a pot because everybody's going to want to, you know, to really win the debate and try to try to get themselves to double digits so that they can be the new number two. Sarah, do, do you agree on this? Where are you on yeah, I agree. Trump I mean, should or shouldn't do it. I mean, I don't want to give advice to Donald Trump because I just my only advice to him is to go. He's not going to take it. Um, don't right, don't worry. Know. But no, I mean, strategically, it's right. He's in the power position. He doesn't he shouldn't get on stage or elevate any of them. I mean, if he was participating in this Tucker thing, it would be a lot more news yeah. than it's going to be when it's just the undercard. And he lets let them be the undercard. One thing I'll just tag on to there is I'm sure I've talked about this before, but like it's so important to recognize this is DeSantis's major structural disadvantage, which is that there's basically no worse spot than the number two spot. He needed to get so much closer to Trump than he is in order to make it really a two-man race, because instead right now, as he slips into the teens, all he is is everybody's target, because the only way to get to Trump is through DeSantis. There's no point. I mean, Christie has decided on a specific strategy that is related to, I have a role to play in this whole deal. And that's just to like go at Trump. But if Christie's on the debate stage with Ron DeSantis, he will spend a lot of time attacking Ron DeSantis. And that is a huge structural disadvantage for Ron DeSantis. Everybody's after him, including Trump. And that's why his negatives are going up. I got to say, I have been skeptical that Christie could handle Donald Trump on a debate setting. I'm pretty sure that Ron DeSantis cannot handle yeah. Chris Christie yeah. in a debate. DeSantis is so bad at this stuff. If Christie decides to take after him, ugh, ugh, it'll be ugly. Uh, I have my little David Kochel uh, in my brain, my uh, former friend and uh, mentor who was in did Iowa campaigns. And I, I, do, I think it's worth mentioning one thing about Trump and the Iowa thing that is maybe the only counter to this point we've all been making. And that is that he really could end this whole thing in Iowa. And like the campaign is kind of over if Trump wins the Iowa caucus. 100%. I mean, yeah. And so is there a question of, you know, on the margins, is he going to, because he also did this thing where he's attacking the governor, Kim Reynolds. And I think that speaks to the whole Donald Trump's unconventional and he can attack people. And like, I don't think anyone actually gives a hoot what, what the governor says about the race. People have their own opinions about it. But if he turns off even 2% of Iowa caucus goers, which is a pretty small number of people, right? It, you know, because... He's being mean to Kim and he's not showing up to this and that. And they're like, oh, and they feel guilty. You know what I mean? Like there are people are cross pressured. And so it's August, right? I, I think it's probably something for them to be cautious of, you know, would be my one strategic point about why DeSantis has to do this. Why these other jokers, why are any of the other jokers besides Vivek in the race? Actually, it's kind of maybe a better question, but why, why are they doing this? Because you're hoping that that happens, that like 
you know, the, the Iowa people eventually kind of bristle at the treatment. And so I, I guess that's the only, you know, risk. But again, that could be offset by doing a bunch of Iowa stuff later. Yeah. But just on this point, so DeSantis's team has said this, that Iowa's the ball game. Like, uh, Trump can lose Iowa and still win. Ron DeSantis can't lose Iowa and go on to win. One of the things we've been looking at the office is the super is the polling in the Super Tuesday states, right? So everyone's focused on Iowa, you're focused on New Hampshire, and it's true. I mean, DeSantis's team said something like DeSantis, it's or Iowa's got two percent of the delegates, but ninety percent of the momentum, and I think that's that's a correct theory of the case. But if you look at the polling from the big Super Tuesday states, many of which are either winner take all or winner take most, Trump is destroying DeSantis. Like in California and in Texas and in lots of other places, like it's not even close. And people aren't paying attention to those states, but they will matter a great deal for the delegate count uh, on the big day because the Republican primary is structured to basically be put to bed after Super Tuesday. Like it is set up to go quick. Let me explain why I do not believe that Iowa is 2% of the delegates and 90% of the momentum this time around. It normally is a lot of momentum. That momentum is rarely decisive. People people win Iowa and then lose the nomination all the time. But it is unheard of to have a front runner be a former president who is polling well over 50% with a 32 to 36 point lead over whoever is in second. Not in Iowa. No, but, but when Iowa is is a momentum changer, it's when you have like one candidate at 35 and then three other candidates in the teens and then two people in single digits and everybody is sort of struggling to break out, right? This is, you know, and then you can use Iowa to slingshot out. When you have a guy who, again, fully vetted because he's a former president, there is no uncertainty. There's no, it's not like the, he just hasn't been defined yet or people haven't thought about what they really think about the candidate. Like Trump is just, everything is baked in. And he's over 50% support. There is no slingshot to catch up to that. I, I just don't buy it. I'll push back on that just ever so slightly. And and it, there's two things going on. One is the opportunity for people to get momentum around electability, right? Like if if DeSantis, and, and I'm going to push, but this is like such a gentle pushback because I mostly agree. I mostly agree uh, <laughs> with you. But I just want to say that like if there was a dynamic changer, and this assumes nothing happens to Trump and like... Someone new doesn't get in uh, and DeSantis has completely collapsed or something like that. But if you're DeSantis and you do win Iowa and it's a surprise, oh, my gosh, she won. This is where I'll end up arguing against myself. There's a little bit of the other Republicans do maybe say a bunch of people drop out. Like, okay, DeSantis is the only one. So they drop out. The problem is, is that unlike the Democrats where that helped Joe Biden, not sure it helps DeSantis if Nikki Haley drops out and endorses him. (laughs) Um, And so it's complicated. But I do think electability is the one thing that still comes up a lot and is still people's big hesitation. And just like Joe Biden had a big momentum shift in one state around electability, that's sort of the only path I see for a big change. I don't think it's super likely, but it is the path. But the polling, I mean, the the matchup polling would have to get a lot worse for Trump and a lot better for DeSantis in order for the electability to really resonate with voters. Well, I no, think, but it, I'm because, just saying this is like, the, we're know, talking hypothetically if he won Iowa. And yeah. I'm saying what it would do is go people go, oh, he can beat Trump. And yeah. like these things can change fast when people are making a calculation around who can beat Joe Biden, who's the most qualified. That's what happened for the Dems in 2020. 
All right, so I want to talk quickly about Burgum and Vivek, who are doing something interesting in an attempt to get onto the debate stage. Burgum is offering people $20 gift cards if they will contribute $1 to his campaign. Is that legal? Seems like a bribe to me. And Vivek is offering people a taste of the fundraising that they bring in. And so you have essentially one guy running arbitrage in order to buy votes and another guy turning his fundraising into a LuLaRoe MLM. And I just and nobody blinks at it. This is we are in a place where these things barely register. They're just like, sure, that's a thing that happens. We don't have a federal election commission, basically, which is kind of the problem. I mean, it's we're in the Vegas of elections. I will say this as I'm a little offended on Doug Burgum's behalf that Neither of you mentioned him when just doing that lengthy oh, yeah, assessment you're offended. of what you're could offended. happen in Iowa because <laughs> Doug in the na- neighboring state, of, well, neighboring state of North Dakota, I just think the game's still open for Doug. Um, logo I'll, I'll, so I'll say this. Uh, gosh, a good logo. I'm not an election lawyer. It, it seems illegal to bribe people $19. My biggest question is like, is it unethical for me as a, as a podcast host to like take his 19 bucks? Because I'm thinking about that. I was that. this close to doing it today. I know. I almost did it too. <laughs> I don't know. We'll think about that. I, I'd like some feedback on whether I can do that ethically. Um, the Vivek thing, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm about to do it again. <laughs> he was making a good point. I, the fundraising oligopoly that he called it is corrupt and crazy, and it's insane. Like the system of, oh, Ron DeSantis can pay somebody who is who is the intermediary between him and a bunch of rich people in New York and California to put a million dollars into Jeffro's super PAC and then take 10% off it. Like I, I, it's gross. And, um, and I kind of agree with Vivek's point. I don't know that it's legal <laughs> for him to do a little MLM and, but I, but the substance, the, the like idea behind the point, I looked at it and I was kind of like, you know, Vivek, maybe people do deserve a little cut. Maybe, maybe the regular folks, you know, doing little grassroots fundraisers. If, if, why shouldn't they get ten percent? How do you get a cut? What's the process by which? Like, if you are you a bundler online for him? You have a link. You have a link. You have a link. So you it's send like the Amazon, link to all right? your the Amazon referral link. Yeah, you post the link onto your Getter feed, and then anybody that donates off that, if they donate five bucks, wow. you get fifty scrap back i this I don't is know. one more universe in which vivek showing a lot more imagination than literally every other member of the field exactly yeah so here's the thing this is a function of needing of this like rule where you need forty thousand individual donors to get on the debate stage and i got it this is this is just my opportunity to make the point that there is a cottage industry in washington of people who are mad about campaign finance reform like campaign finance reform is like the dominant issue for just decades, people talking about it and dark money and all that. Hey guys, this is this is this money is out in the open, and it is not big corporations. It is from the people. Do we love it? Is this democracy? Is this is exactly what we wanted? Did we get everything we hoped and dreamed, or are the people it was the Howard Dean dream, <laughs> or are the people supporting lunatics? Uh, the people are the yeah. problem, as it turns out. <laughs> this is a classic case of a government reform which didn't understand how complex the system was and so ultimately made things worse, right? I mean, I just think it's it's not even debatable that we have worse candidates now than yeah, we did 30 obviously. years ago by a lot and that the, the worst candidates are able to fundraise a ton of money. 
ton of money. And it's yeah. uh, it's the Jack Abramoff days. Really, I mean, it's again, it's not the best system. It's not a perfect system. I'm not endorsing bribery, but like in retrospect. I'd rather have Jack Abramoff greasing a couple people's yeah. wheels who are, you know, who are normal people playing the inside game than having, you know, Lauren Boebert and MTG. The militia folks. And, to, but this is, you know, this is the same thing. I forget. Somebody wrote a really smart piece about this like 15 years ago. It might have been Will back yeah. in his late days. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Um, about how so many of these good government reforms wind up backfiring. Totally. And the, the classic example is like pork barrel stuff. So the, you know, the the attempt to eliminate pork barrel politics, one of the things it did was increase polarization. Yeah. Because you couldn't you just couldn't buy off votes of people from the other team, which meant that you didn't get as much bipartisan stuff, which meant that everything became a party line vote and a litmus test. And, you know, is it more economically efficient to get rid of pork barrel politics? Sure. But what that money was buying you. That money that was sloshing around the system, it was buying you a little more bipartisanship. It was buying you a government that actually gets stuff done. This is JVL's endorsement of the bridge to nowhere. Basically, yes. Oh, yeah. Those people needed that bridge. Okay? Basically, God yes. God bless. This is, Tad look, Stevens. we're a rich country. And our... Was, it Tad? was that what it was, Ted Stevens? If, if, our, if our, you know, what that can do is buy us a government that is wasteful but functional and not crazy, I'm in favor of it. Okay, final bit. We had, as you guys hinted at, some polling showing Donald Trump in Florida leading Ron DeSantis by 20, but that's probably just because of name ID. (laughs) And we had uh, some mailers circulating in Iowa this week about Trump, which are amazing. They're, They're really, they are positioned as if they are, thank you, President Trump, from gay and trans rights groups who are thanking the president, the Mm. the former president, for being such a leader. Thank you, Donald Trump, for standing up for LGBTQ plus rights, exclamation mark. That's one of them. The other one is a rainbow-colored fist raised up, you know, like black power style, but rainbow power style. Donald Trump stood up for marriage equality and trans rights while many Republican leaders are fighting against gay marriage and trans rights. And it's, uh, you know, it takes courage to change the culture. And we thank Donald Trump for standing with LGBTQ plus Americans to fight against the close-minded Republicans who won't accept change. Tim, I have a question for you. As an operative, do you kind of like this move? Hmm. Like, is there a part of you that thinks like, yeah, that's smart? That's a good question. Um, no. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's Don Young who did that with Ted Stevens. I want to shout out to Don Young on the Rich Nowhere. Part of this was, um, like, in almost every case, these two clever by half situations end up corrupting you more than it helps beat your opponent. And I just, I look back with, like, glee, some glee on some of the really clever things that we did, like this in Iowa, working for McCain, attacking Romney and Giuliani. And, and did it matter? No. Mike Huckabee ended up winning Iowa. John McCain made his comeback based on... Uh, his commitment to the surge in Iraq, not on my cle- not on my too clever by half anonymous websites that like attacked Rudy Giuliani for loving abortion so much, or what you know that that you know stu- or the or the flipper the uh, senior flipper the Hispanic <laughs> dolphin that I sent following around Mitt Romney. I mean, some of this stuff was cl- was you know I look back on and I'm just like, 
I, it did nothing. It did nothing. And and good. And that is the case here. Is this really convincing anybody? Is this really convincing anybody that they that this idea that Donald Trump is too nice to gays? I don't see it. And and to me, if anything, the thing that it worries me about is it's softening him up. For the general. I think it's softening him up. Yeah, I, right. I, I, if oh, yeah. Donald Trump, look at this moderate. Look at this moderate guy. Right. I know. Yeah. So anyway, no, I, I see what you're saying. I, I on in, at a at one level in my brain, I'm like, hey, clever idea there. But I just I don't think that it's going to work. And I think that the best case scenario has no impact, and you've become complicit in homophobic bigotry. And like the worst case scenario is it actually softens up Donald Trump for the general. Sarah, why try for the bank shot though? Look, if you're the DeSantis campaign, and I'm not saying this was the DeSantis or his super PAC or some associate, Do we but it know does who it dovetail. Was? Cornell was trying to say it was the coach. We don't. We have it in here somewhere. It's a, a new organization called Paid PAC. For by Advancing Our Values. Okay, um, sure. But here's what I don't understand. If if this is from DeSantis land. We, here's what we know it's not from, just really quick. Here's what we know it's not from. Somebody that hates gays. It is from it is one of these same things we were just talking about. It's from some rich guy oh, in New York yeah. fund, you know, funded super PAC that's being that's having a DC based strategist who's using the ten percent cut to build a beach house. Like it's not genuine. Nobody that reads this is like, oh yeah, this is coming from someone who shares my values and is scared about this stuff. It's coming from somebody with gay friends, you know, who's pretending like they, they do this to because they think it might trick the rubes. Why not just run right at it, though, Sarah? Why not just do like the the video, right? The the DeSantis War Room video that he went and defended on Tommy Lahren's show. And, uh, you know, he said, well, it's a fair game. You know, it's a, he, he did let her do Miss Universe in 2012. Um, why why not just run right at him? I, I do think he will go right at him. I mean, I, I, I do think that DeSantis has decided this is where he's going to stand. And this is the thing. I think that this play is like, normal sort of dirty pull politics stuff. But like the problem, the thing is, is that it doesn't make sense now. We all know Trump, Trump is baked in. It's all baked, guys. I just like, what, I just don't, this is, and this is like another structural problem. It's just like, what are you going to tell people about Donald Trump? Donald Trump, the picture of him waving the Republic that, or the, the gay flag in 2016 was everywhere. And yeah, yeah people loved it. That This people is, loved it. this is just this classic. We talk about this a lot. It's Tim's point. I love this point. That, that Trump, as a mo- social moderate, is a big boon for him, and that DeSantis is, whether he did this or not, he is trading away the idea of him being normal and, you know, somebody that, that normal people can get behind. And he's on his way, so I hear he's making a, a pilgrimage back east to meet with donors to reassure them that, don't worry, he's playing the long game. He's in it, you know, he's, he knows what he's doing. Can I throw in, though, to what you said that, and we've done this on this podcast, but I, 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 you, you threw this question at me live a couple of weeks ago. What would you do instead? And it's like, you would at least be able to come to me and say, hey, Tim, as, does the operative side of you think this is clever? If it was something that was conceivably new information, right? Like, like let's say they did what Arvat did, and they went down to the border in Arizona, and they found a MAGA-looking person who looks like he's Paul Gosar's buddy from the club, like, wearing the red hat, and he's like... Donald Trump said he was going to build the wall, but you know what? I still got these Guatemalans coming across the border with their fentanyl, and I saw, I, you know, I saw burritos on the ground yesterday. Like whatever, you know, like some like legitimately MAGA person who's fucking pissed that Hispanic people are still coming into his community in a border town and saying I, Donald Trump let me down. 
Okay, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't work yeah. either, but at least you're trying. At least at least you're trying something that might be a new piece of information that might move these people. Like being like Donald Trump is too nice to gay people. Come on. I'd like to ask both of you, because DeSantis is, there does seem to be some donor panic. Eric Erickson has written about this, being on a lot of lists and text change with people. Uh, and the DeSantis people seem to be promising everybody, don't worry, they've got it all in hand. Change is coming. Why would the donors stick with him? There is enough time to pivot, isn't there? Like To whom? Because the only person to pivot to is Vivek. Vivek. Mike Pence is right there. He's at 6%. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is this is what I wanted. So uh, Will Salatan had a great piece about Mike Pence and how Mike okay. Pence You really like this the Salatan question. guy. He sounds good. I, he's great. He's, uh, he's wonderful. He's almost as good as his brother, Will Salatin. <laughs> And Mike Pence is in a diner and he gets asked about uh, January 6th and he like he fully engages with all of the the respect and persuasion. He does the truth sandwich. Right. All the all the things that the pro-democracy people tell us we're supposed to do. Mike Pence went and did it and he's at six percent anyway and he's got an independent fundraising apparatus. Why not Mike Pence? Why is it that they have to stay with the guy who's whose pitch is? I will be even more illiberal than Donald Trump and I'll get it done. Don't worry. Unless they want the illiberalism. Wait. No, I, I mean, this is uh, the answer is very obvious, which is that they've all got donor advisors and they listen to s- the strategists that walk in there, Frank Luntz and other people, and they tell them. DeSantis Have they is, heard Ron DeSantis yeah. speak, Sarah? Is your compromise. Have they heard his voice? He is your compromise between... Like, everybody knows Mike Pence. Everybody hates him. Like, there's not a consultant in the world who's like, put your money on Mike Pence. And I'm sure that there are a couple deep-pocketed evangelical backers who are riding hard for Mike Pence. And, you know, Tim Scott's got a sugar daddy. And I'm sure Nikki Haley's got some some nice donors uh, in New York. And that's fine. But, like, the donors are like in a... Is an amoeba the right word? Like they're this constellation, right? They, they talk to each other. They feed off each other. They're all saying the same thing. And what they'll do is they'll, they're all panicked right now. And somebody in that world is going to convince them he's our only chance. And we just got to do it. And these guys are practical, if nothing else. And they will suck it up and throw more money at him for as long as they think he's the only person. Unless amoeba-like, they all decide to pivot to Tim Scott, or somebody else. Right. This is actually the best argument for Trump participating in the first debate is that he might be able to kill DeSantis before Iowa. Right. Like if he went into the, if you actually did a debate versus DeSantis and crushed him, this is a little bit more of a high risk maneuver, which maybe he doesn't need to do. Like they don't, I think the donors are shaky enough that they might bail if something like that happened. But you know, it's a little early for that. So I meant to go back to this. It is, I think a huge problem for DeSantis that Kim Reynolds is staying neutral. I wanted to disagree with Tim about the idea that nobody cares what the governor says. When I was in Iowa talking to voters for the PBS thing, they love Kim Reynolds. I actually was like, they really loved Kim Reynolds. And I asked them specifically, will her endorsement like make a difference to you? And a bunch of people said, yes. Now, does that matter if they endorse, if she endorses somebody that they didn't want to go with anyway, whatever. But I Fair think point. the fact that, I think that my guess is, is that she wanted to endorse DeSantis. And if she thought he was anywhere close, she would have uh, because she knows it will play. It would be a huge deal. And the fact that she's staying neutral means that she is not confident that Donald Trump is not absolutely going to win Iowa. And, you know, the, the gross thing about it, can I just say the gross thing? Yeah. There's another reason that she's staying neutral. 
because of Donald Trump's the nominee. He's going to be in the market for a normal yeah. seeming lady. Somebody can trust more than Nikki. Well, then she would have endorsed Trump, though. He won't do it. He's already he's attacking her. You can't can't stay neutral. You can't not be on Trump's side. You have to affirmatively be on Trump's side. Yeah, you're right. That's true. That's probably That's true. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Okay. Uh, Donald Trump did bleat did about bleat. her, actually. Bleat mean, uh, said yeah. a mean bleat about how she doesn't know what she's talking about, which <laughs> just shows like... Like no, no, like no, like no real consultants would ever be like, hey, you know what you should do? Send a <laughs> send a social media post on your off-brand social media site shitting on the governor of the first caucus state. That's not something that any paid professional consultants okay. would ever do. Which goes to show how useless most of you are that are listening. Hi. So uh, it's been a long show, but I have one more thing I want to throw. Before two more hours. Here. I got to do two we, more topics. We had a piece on the website on Tuesday by Rich Tao, one of our friends who writes about focus groups. It's a great thing. I love it when people write pieces for the Bulwark about focus groups. And, uh, this is his most elaborate troll, Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> and Rich did a piece well, about uh, undecided Trump to Biden voters. And so these are people who, who have voted for each of the candidates <laughs> once. <laughs> was, this, was this the Rich Tao piece? <laughs> Yes, yes, <laughs> Rich Tao just piece about how they are. Rich Tao. Rich Tao wrote this piece because he conducts focus groups. <laughs> and uh, he he was interviewing these people who have voted once for Donald Trump and then again for Joe Biden and are now sitting there and they just, gosh, golly, darn it, they can't make up their dumb minds. And I would like to know, I understand how people could vote for Donald Trump. I get that. I understand how people could vote for Joe Biden. I get that, too. I even understand how people could go from one to the other. What I cannot understand is how anybody with an IQ over 80 could look at the two and not be able to figure out which one they like best. Sarah, what is wrong with people? You should ask Rich Tao. Well, you know, <laughs> I asked you because, as one of our commenters pointed out a couple of weeks ago, JVL knows things and Sarah knows people. There was a guy in one of the groups recently who was one of these Trump to Biden, back to Trump voters, double flippers. Trump 16, Biden 20. Trump 16, Biden 2020. Going back to Trump for 24. Yeah, I've I've actually seen a number of these people. And you know what he said? He said something that I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, every now and then someone in focus group just says something and I'm like, it sticks in my brain and it's the, I now attribute it to all the reasons. He said, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to turn off the television and I'm just going to enjoy Trump's economy. Hates Donald Trump. Which economy? The economy in 2020, you, which was just, in the toilet? You know, this I, is, I this report, is, you freak out. I this is just me telling you. Who, who, they, they say, well, you know, with Donald Trump, we only think about the economy in 2016, 2017, and 2018. The stuff that happened after that doesn't count. With Joe Biden, we only think about the we don't we don't give him any credit for the good economy of 2020 and 2021. We only think about the bad economy of 2022. And then we won't uh, give any credence to the really good Bidenomic things that happened in 2023. Democracy doesn't work. People. Now <laughs> the show is taking a turn. I'm starting to move on to the JVL side of this. Like I. I have to say, I just kind of just get frustrated listening to the Biden, Trump, Biden, or excuse me, Trump, Biden, Trump voter. I'm starting to go with JVL. I was on the Sarah side of this debate for most of the year about how, you know, people's real inflation feelings are bad and I get it and everything's a little more expensive. Like increasingly, that's becoming a hard case to make. I mean, things are a little bit more expensive. That's true. But like 
the economy is pretty damn good. I like the market is up. Unemployment is at basically zero. Anybody that has a job wants a job can get a job. Low income people like income inequality is down, I, I, you know, which is something that everybody says they wanted. And so, yeah, there's still some annoying things. Like, I occasionally get annoyed still about the something that costs more than it used to. But like, I don't know. The it's starting to be. I'm starting to get a little. I'm starting to get a little confused. And so this is a this is a good. Uh, this is something that I would like to have a more lengthy report from you on from your swing groups. I'd like to press these people a little more because like things are pretty fucking good actually in all in the grand scheme of things. Was it you, JBL, that did the or was it Josh Barrow? It was when Josh he, Barrow when he copied my piece right down to the headline. That <laughs> yeah, it was like like yeah yeah. Yeah, the morning in America. There's like he's like here. Here are the economic stats from when the morning in America ad ran, and here are the economic stats from now. And it's like the economy's better now than it was then. So I'm going to go back and just make one of my very basic points, which is that I think that the Biden administration is not does not have the good news machine discipline that Trump did. And Trump's discipline was very stupid. But he and every surrogate, if you recall, would go and they would just say he would hold rallies, whatever, and he'd be like. Best economy for black people, best economy for women, best economy for Hispanics, best economy for you, 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 you. How's your 401k doing? And he had that. And that was like his thing on the trail. Right. And there is a psychological impact to that repetition. And I think that that we're just not doing that. And in fact, you know, we have people have been sort of catastrophizing for so long. And I think that could be a hangover from the pandemic. Um, I get that all the time. I write pieces about like, hey, look at these economic indicators. And then, you know, people at my own magazine are like, wow, what is he talking about? I'm not, that's not what I say. <laughs> I just tell you what I hear from people. And I think that there is and, you know, Tim sent that article. I can't remember now who what, where it was from or, or what. But the guy in it was uh, making, New York Mag. Yeah, he was making the point. That when it came to to the Biden economy, like people just like people have never experienced inflation. Like there's just like generations of people who've just never had it before. And I thought that was sort of compelling. This idea that nobody's just seen interest rates above six percent or like many like lots of older people have, but like lots of younger people haven't. And, you know, when I was I was home recently and I was listening to people talk and there was a party and I was. You know, people are talking about their rent going up and how it's gone up by 6%. And that is a lot that just lags, right? And it's still being built into the economy in a way that I think hits people. And so I think there's real issues that there's still a lag that actually could get better for Biden the closer we get to the election. I also think the idea, this is the other thing. For so long, we talked about sliding into recession. Lots of people think that we're in a recession. Like the number of people, I don't hear it as much anymore, but like six months ago, lots of people were saying, and I would tell you this JBL, they'd be like, well, look, we're in a recession. We were technically in a recession. Don't you for have one to be quarter. in a recession for two quarters for it to count as a recession. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. We were in, we were in we had two back to back quarters, so we were in one. So there was that second quarter we were in a recession for one. Quarter. Sarah, do you know what might help people try to understand what's really going on in the world? Is if good guy Republicans like Will Hurd didn't launch their campaigns by lying about crime statistics <laughs> and inflationary statistics. Like if they, you guys remember this, right? Will Hurd, the good guy. He's our guy. He's Will Hurd. He's good. I don't think. I don't it think it's Will help. Hurd's fault. I don't think. Help. I don't think that the people's that feelings about through. the economy are Will Hurd's fault. I forgot for a split second. I forgot <laughs> he was enough. in the race. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Will Hurt has been covered more on the Next Level podcast than on any anywhere else in the country. 
All right, guys, good show. Incredibly long show. I, I meant to keep this under 50 minutes. Great work. Tough. I wanted to talk yeah, about my lip Thanks. a little more. Uh, hey, we had a good show coming on Sunday. Sunday, we have Jen Psaki, supposedly. We haven't taped it yet. I usually don't like to jinx it. Yeah. Uh, and your show last Sunday was fantastic with uh, Alex Edelman, who honestly should have been a psychiatrist, not a stand-up comedian, um, or a philosopher, maybe, not a stand-up comedian. He's, that That is a thoughtful, thoughtful dude. Sarah, did you like it? Did you did you uh, enjoy that? To kind of, to oh, kind of be good. funny as well, but not be too funny, not overshadow part of it was? The part where Tim was funny. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, yeah. What was your favorite favorite joke that Alex made? Uh, um, I. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you on Sunday. Bye. <laughs>